1: I'm John Gidley, and welcome to another trip into the football attic. Today we're going to talk about the 1967 Baltimore Colts, a team that won 11 games, lost only once, and tied twice. And believe it or not, they didn't make the playoffs. First, a little backstory. By the mid-1960s, the Baltimore Colts were still one of the premier franchises in the National Football League, led as always by quarterback Johnny Unitas, regarded as perhaps the greatest player of his time. Also by this time, Don Shula, long before he achieved legendary status in Miami, had taken over for Weeb Eubank as head coach. But after winning back-to-back NFL championships in 1958 and 59, the Colts struggled to get back to the promised land. In 1964, Baltimore went 12-2, the best record in the NFL that season, but they were shut out in the championship game by the Cleveland Browns, 27 to nothing. The next season, the Colts went 10-3-1, tying the Green Bay Packers for first place in the NFL's Western Division. As a result, they played one of the very few tiebreaker games in postseason history. On a typically frigid day at Lambeau Field, Don Chandler's 25-yard overtime field goal gave Green Bay a 13-10 win, the division championship, and the NFL championship as the Packers beat the Browns the next week. After missing the playoffs in 1966, the Colts came into the 67 season wanting to run roughshod over the rest of the league. In the 1967 offseason, the NFL split from two divisions into four as the Atlanta Falcons entered the league in 1966 and the New Orleans Saints began play in 67. The Colts were placed in the Coastal Division, along with the Falcons, Rams, and 49ers. By definition, the Coastal Division was geographically correct, but having two West Coast teams and two East Coast teams in one division just doesn't make any sense. Anyway, coming into the 1967 season, the Colts probably figured that they had their new division in the bag. The previous season, Los Angeles finished 8-6, San Francisco went 6-6-2, and Atlanta suffered the typical growing pains of an expansion team by going 3-11. After a surprisingly close 38-31 opening day victory over the Falcons, the Colts went on to beat the Eagles, 49ers, and Bears by a combined score of 103-16. In Week 5, Baltimore hosted Los Angeles. The Rams had started 3-0 for the first time since 1955, but had lost the previous week to San Francisco. Trailing 24-14 in the fourth quarter, the Rams came back to score 10 points on a 47-yard field goal by Bruce Gossett and a 16-yard touchdown pass from Roman Gabriel to Bernie Casey. Since regular season overtime had not yet been implemented, the game ended in a 24-24 tie. The next week at Minnesota, the Colts tied yet again, facing a Vikings team that was only 1-4. Baltimore trailed 13-6 after three quarters, but tied the game on a 15-yard touchdown run by Tom Maddy. After Minnesota scored another touchdown, Unitas threw a three-yard touchdown pass to John Mackey, and the game ended in a 20-20 draw. Coincidentally, the Rams also tied that week, playing to a 28-28 deadlock against Washington, This would be the last time Baltimore and Los Angeles wouldn't record a victory until they played each other on December 17th. In the meantime, the Colts won seven consecutive games. Their only scare was a close 17-13 victory at Washington. They played Green Bay and Dallas close as well, but both the Packers and Cowboys were among the best teams in the league. Their other victories were each blowouts over Atlanta, Detroit, San Francisco, and New Orleans. Meanwhile, the Rams won seven in a row as well, with hardly a scare in the bunch. In their second-to-last game of the season, Los Angeles outlasted Green Bay at home 27-24 in their first of two heavyweight matchups to close out the year. So the stage was now set for a huge game to end the 1967 regular season. The 11-0-2 Colts against the 10-1-2 Rams at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. The winner would advance to the playoffs, while the loser, despite having a double-digit win total, would have to go home since the wild card had yet to be introduced. After letting the Rams take a 3-0 lead, Unitas threw a 12-yard touchdown pass to Willie Richardson to give the Colts a 7-3 advantage at the end of one quarter. Baltimore should have savored every moment of that because it was the only time they had a lead all day. For the next three quarters, the Colts were flummoxed on both sides of the ball. Roman Gabriel played an outstanding game, completing 18 of 22 passes with three touchdowns and no interceptions. Unitas, on the other hand, was only 19 of 31 and threw two interceptions that each set up scoring opportunities for the Rams. Final score, Los Angeles 34, Baltimore 10. The two teams finished tied for first at 11, 1, and 2. Because they had tied in their first meeting of the season, the Rams won the head-to-head tiebreaker with one win, no losses, and one draw. The Colts' 9-17 winning percentage is still the best of any North American sports team that missed the postseason. Unfortunately, this wouldn't be Baltimore's only disappointment. In 1968, the Colts went 13-1, plowing through the rest of the NFL to advance to Super Bowl III, where they were 18-point favorites over the AFL's New York Jets. We all know what happened that day in Miami, though. The Jets pulled off perhaps the greatest upset in the history of pro football, proving that the AFL could indeed compete with the NFL. The Colts would end up winning the Super Bowl in 1970, but the players have always said that it didn't make up for the disappointment of years past. Thanks for joining me for this trip into the football attic, and I hope to see you again next week. In the meantime, check out all the other great podcasts here on the Sports History Network and follow me on Twitter at JFGSports. Until next time, this is John Gidley. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network,
0: your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the football history dude. And I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history, but as far as I'm concerned... We're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know that can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports gesture year, starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're gonna continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you gotta do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sports. HistoryNetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter. Because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you got to do, head over to SportsHistoryNetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.